All right, well, uh, hey, good morning. How we doing? Uh, man, it's good to see you guys at the Museum District campus. Um, it's also good to see you guys or be with you guys over at the Timbergrove campus as well. So if this is your first time, whether it's here or at Timbergrove, um, my name's Kale. I'm one of the pastors here at The Story. I specifically pastor over at our Timbergrove campus. Um, so I, I love you guys, Timbergrove. I'm with y'all. It's good to be with y'all today. But here, if I could speak to Timbergrove real quick, we good? Uh, this message is for us this morning. So that's my hope, that's my, my heart, not only for them, but for all of us too. And so also those of you that are joining us online, however, wherever, whenever you're watching, I'm glad that you're with us, glad you're part of the story. All right, so, uh, so those in Houston, um, I don't know if you felt this week, but if you woke up early enough, the, the breeze was a little bit cooler this, uh, this week. And so I think that signifies the turning of a chapter from summer to whatever fall has for us. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do the same here at The Story. We are, we're kind of turning the page of the chapter of summer. It's been a great summer here at The Story. We've been in the summer of love. And so we're turning the page, and so we are looking ahead to the fall season. And this fall season is gonna be, gonna be new. Uh, it's a new season of all of our groups. We have over 40 plus groups at the Museum District over at Timbergrove that are launching home groups, discipleship groups. We have our re-engaged marriage group. We have a lot of new things coming up. Next week, we're gonna launch our new series. Uh, we're gonna be diving in and teaching through the Acts of the Apostles. So I can't wait to, to teach that. It's gonna be a long one. So y'all buckle up, get prepared, 25, 26 weeks. It's gonna be fun. Even at the Timbergrove campus, we're in a new season as well. We just launched a new Mother's Day Out ministry that is just incredible. And so we launched that last week and we just have too many kids that, to know what to do with. And so we decided, well, we gotta put them during the week too. So we launched that. It's been awesome, chaotic and beautiful. Um, and so just as a church, we're launching into to some new things this season. And I would, I would bet, that most of, of you here, most of, of you at Timbergrove, is that you're stepping into a new season as well. In fall 2023, something, you're gonna start something new, whether that's a new job, a new promotion, a new business, whether that's a new marriage, whether that's, that's a new member of your family being born, whether that's just even a new rhythm of your kids going back to school or or a new life stage of a grandparent or, or, or empty nester or, or something, you're gonna step into something new in the 2023 in this back half of it. And so the, the thing that happens when we step into something new, into a new season or into a new chapter of life, what we tend to do is we tend to lose focus on keeping the main thing the main thing. We, we just tend to, to lose focus. And so here's my heart for our church this morning. Here's my heart for, look, for us at Timbergrove, here is my heart, is that we use today as a foundation, as a launching pad into, into the rest of, of 2023. Look, whatever God has for us, is that we use today to refocus, to, to recommit, to remember the foundation of our faith. And so whether that's as a church collectively or individually, that's my, my heart. Because here's the warning, is that if we don't refocus, if we don't remember, if we don't return to the foundation of our faith, things will quickly go awry. I don't know if you felt this in your life before. It's, it's a theme that's all throughout Scripture, that how quickly the people of God forget and forsake God it's a theme, honestly, that's been all throughout my life, and it's, it's a theme that I see so many times as a pastor, that, that people, they, they come, 
And it's really in, in the transitions of life. And, and so they come to me, they're starting a new season, and they just have lost focus of keeping the main thing the main thing, and it ruins their lives. And so the, the decision that we make today, the, 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 the thing that we can step in today is, is reorienting our hearts around the foundation of Jesus. Look, this will lead us to either strengthening and growing our faith, or it will lead to the unraveling of it. That's why this is so important. The scripture says, but if they do not listen, they will perish by the word and they will die without knowledge. Look, if we don't listen to Jesus' words, what we're going to see this morning can have devastating consequences for us. And so that's how urgent, that's how significant this message is today. And so my prayer is we step into this fall season with, with boldness, with conviction, with courage, and with whatever God has for us. And so we just reorient our hearts around Jesus and really this passage, these words from Jesus that we're going to dive into today. So what we're going to look at today, it's, a, it's, it's, it's Jesus's words and it's in John 15. And so where we find ourselves in the Gospel of John, you may be familiar with these words, but, but John 15, we find ourselves about 24 hours right before the arrest, the trying, and the crucifixion of Jesus. And so he's 24 hours um, until he gets crucified, and so he's having this intimate conversation with his disciples, and so that means this conversation is for us. And so he's going to tell his disciples, he's been, he's been telling them that, hey, everything's going to change. I'm going to go. I'm going to die. This is going to be, look, the most pivotal new chapter in the history of humankind. And so this is what we need to do to reset and refocus. And so this is for us. These words are for us this morning. And so these are the words from Jesus as he's telling us, as we step into a new chapter as his disciples do as well. So this is John 15. And if you've heard these words before, here's my, here's my hope, here's my prayer, is that we read these this morning with fresh ears, is that you hear this, this word, these words from Jesus, and you hear what he's telling us. So here we go. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. That'll be a theme throughout this. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says to remain in him. He says that apart from him, we can do nothing. That is a clear and powerful statement from Jesus. If you want a mantra for this week, 
if you want a mantra for this school year, if you want a mantra for the rest of 2023, apart from him, we can do nothing. Timber Grove, I, I gave you a mantra last week. I'm going to give you another one this week. And so that's ours for this week and maybe for the rest of the year. Apart from me, we can do nothing. Can I just ask you a question? Do we believe that? Like, do, do we believe that? And, and maybe we think that. Maybe we think we believe that. But how does it go from here to here? Like, do we believe that? If we put it on the ground, do we believe that every single day in your job, apart from him, we can do nothing? Do you believe that every single relationship that you have, apart from him, you can do nothing? Every conversation that you have, apart from him, you can do nothing. Every day when you're parenting your kids, apart from him, you can do nothing. Like, do we believe that? And my prayer is that for today, that that, that just gets in our bones. That, that we believe that apart from him, we can do nothing. Because the warning is, if we forget and we forsake that, then Jesus says we're just as good as firewood. We're dead. And sure, we can do some things without him. A lot of people have done a lot of things without Jesus, but he's saying that ultimately they're meaningless and worthless. And so he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if apart from him, we can do nothing, how do we remain in him? And if you noticed, Jesus said, remain in me a lot of times. You notice this in the passage. He said, remain in me eight times in seven verses. And so what does that mean? One of my favorite Bible teachers, his name's John Hopper. Y'all got to hear him at Museum District and online last week. And, and he told me once, he said, hey, if the Bible repeats itself, you better listen. And so Jesus is saying eight times in seven verses, we better listen. And can you, can you kind of hear the disciples when Jesus is telling them, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me? If, if they're anything like me, they're gonna be like, hey, Jesus, we got you. Okay, we heard you. Fifth time, don't need eight times. Hey, we got it. Like, we, we heard what you're saying. And Jesus is like, you don't got it. In 24 hours, you're gonna flee from me. You're gonna be apart from me. Like, you're gonna run away from me. He's like, even if I told you 800 times, you wouldn't get it. It's the story of God's people. God has to continually tell us to continually to remain in him because how quickly we forget. We're just a people that forget to remain in him. And so he needs to continually tell us the story of God's people is how quickly we just forget and how quickly things go awry. And so it's true in the Old Testament, that's true in the first century, and that's true with us today. And, and if I'm honest, like that's been true in my life too. Okay, are, are we friends? Are we good? Can I, can I talk honestly and openly? Uh, so my life, the theme of my life is that I remain in Jesus when times are bad. Times are tough. I'm like, hey, Jesus, I want to rely. I trust in you, completely dependent on you. I will remain in you. And then things start to get kind of good. And then what happens? I tend to lose focus. And I'm like, hey, hey God, uh, uh, can we this be more of like 50-50? I'm doing pretty good. Like, hey, I got it. Like, whenever I need you, I'll, I'll ask you. And, and I tend to forget to remain in him. And if I can be real honest, look, if you don't know my story, I spent 10 years as a finance guy, and then this is my fifth year in ministry as a pastor. And, and look, I still don't know what I'm doing, but, but five years, seminary, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things, a lot of equipping, I'm getting a little bit better at my job. And can I tell you something? You know what I tend to do? To lose focus, to say, hey, God, I got this. It's not remain in him. 
I have to continually remind myself, continually to read these words from Jesus. Say, remain in him, remain in him, remain in him. Because we have seen, look, you have seen headlines, pastors fall like seemingly every week. And you know what the, the, the Instagram video or the, the you know, social media post or the email, you know what it never says? Hey, they remained in, in Christ for too, too long. Like, hey, he was remaining in the word. He remained in prayer. Hey, he did that too long. No, no, no. It's always, hey, I lost my relationship with Jesus. Like, I, I forgot to keep the main thing the main thing. And so everyone that has a heartbeat needs to be reminded and to remember to keep the main thing the main thing and to remain in him. So how do we reset? How do we refocus? How do we recommit? How do we, how do we remember to remain in Jesus, how do we do that? And so Jesus, he gives us a couple, couple ways in this passage. And so the first way that Jesus says we should remain in him is just to remain in his presence. It's in his presence. And so I hate, hate's a strong word, but I dislike when pastors say, well, in the Greek, this word says, but I'm going to tell you, in the Greek, this word says, it, it actually means remain in me. The Greek is meno, and that means to abide, to abide in Christ. And if you've been around church at all, you might be familiar with that word. And so I, just look, I've listened to countless sermons on abiding with Christ or abiding in Christ. I've heard, I've heard so many professors lecture me about abiding in Christ. And can I be honest? I've never really been satisfied with the definition. Like I've always been left wanting what the definition of abiding in Christ is until it clicked for me one time. The pastor said, here's what abiding in Christ is. It is finding your home in Jesus. finding a home that when we abide in him, when he abides in us, when we're in his presence, we're at home. And so just a couple verses before Jesus uh, said those words in John 15, he said this. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Can I ask you a question? Do you view being in the presence of God as your home? As your home. When I, when I think of home, I think of my wife. Uh, my wife, Kim, is the best. And so I don't know if this is romantic or not, but I, uh, look, when I think of home, like I think my wife is my home. Wherever, no matter what house we're in, no matter where we're at, like I'm home when I'm with her. When she's in just even the vicinity of me, like a smell, I can feel, I, I know that she's there. And so she's at Timber Grove right now and I miss my home. Um, but she's home to me. It's because we've grown in intimacy together. Like we, we're home. And so ultimately, when, when we find our home in Jesus, it's because we've grown and intimacy with him. And because, look, ultimately, like if we take a step back in a macro level, our home is in the presence of Jesus. That's why we have this like desire to, and this yearning to want to be home. And the best thing about home is that no matter what kind of day you had, no matter how, how much life has thrown at you, how beaten and broken and just whatever circumstance you find yourself in, it's that we can be, we wanna be eager to be home. 
So we want to be home. And, and, and so my, my wife and I, we went to, uh, just a couple weekends ago, we took like a, a, a mini vacation to Galveston. And so I'm a Houstonian, so I can say this. Galveston is great and it's kind of gross. We good? Yeah? We, you with me? Okay. Uh-huh. But so what happens is we got a little Airbnb and, and, and it was like three blocks away from the beach. And so I have two little kids, a four and a two-year-old and, and, and my wife. And so I just lug everything, you know, the dad's the pack mule. So I'm like bringing everything to the beach. And we had a great eight minutes at the beach. And then I kind of had everything and I, I lug it back. And then my, my kids were like, oh, we're bored. We want to go back to the beach. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then so we go back to the beach and, uh, and I don't know if you've been to Galveston, the sand was so hot, it like burned our feet. It was, uh, it was tough. My kids don't sleep on vacations or as we like to call them trips. Um, they, they just don't sleep. And so look, by the end of the weekend, we were ready to be home. My wife and I, we looked at each other, we're like, let's, let's go home. Even my kids were like, we should go home. <laughs> and so you might've taken a vacation, might've been nicer than Galveston. You might've, at the end of it, you might've said, man, I'm, I can't wait to get home. We just have this, this desire in us. Like, I just can't wait to get home. What if we viewed God's presence like that? Like, what if we viewed God's presence as just wanting so eager to be home? And look, I know for some of us, being home, it's dynamic. Some of us didn't have a great home life. And so what my prayer is, is that God restores and redeems this word for us. So we just want to be home. Because Jesus, he is a home that we abide in. He is not a house that we avoid. And so everyone finds their home in something. You will find your home in something. And wherever you find your home, wherever you, wherever you abide in, it will produce something. And Jesus says, when you remain in him, you will produce fruit. And so when we're in his presence, he will produce fruit and it will be through his pruning. That's the second thing. I don't know if you guys read that in the text, but it's through his pruning. One of the main reasons we avoid going home, one of the main reasons why we avoid abiding in Christ is because we know there will be pruning. So instead of abiding in him, instead of finding our intimacy with him, we just avoid him altogether because we know it's gonna be uncomfortable. We know it's gonna be difficult. We know it's, it's gonna be some pruning. And the best way I know how to illustrate this on, on, on abiding and, and avoiding, it's with my kids. So I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, but it's especially with my four-and-a-half-year-old. Her, her name's Becca. And this is Becca. She is the cutest thing you've ever seen. And so I know, here's what I know. My daughter, she just started pre-K. I know what kind of day that she had when I step in the door from work. If you have kids that are around this age, you know, when I step into the door from work and she just runs up, daddy, 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 I love you, I love you. Look what I did, look what letter we learned, look at my artwork, look at everything. And she like spills all the pre-K tea to me. I don't know if you've ever, if you ever talked to a kid, she's like, well, Roman did not listen today. And then Elizabeth, she said a potty word, but I got a sticker. And so I had a great day. And so I know what kind of day that she had when she abides in me, when she comes to me, when she wants to come in my presence. And then in the same way, I know if she had a bad day or a tough day or if she didn't listen to her teachers or maybe she wasn't very nice to her little brother, I know because she's in the corner, like fake coloring on her little table and she avoids eye contact with me completely. 
and, and, and she, she doesn't want to abide in my presence because here's what she thinks. She thinks, look, she knows that there will be discipline. There will be consequences. And, and typically that just looks like we have a talk, but she avoids it because she thinks that she has offended beyond forgiveness. She thinks that whatever she did during that day, that, that she has offended me beyond forgiveness. And that is so far from the truth. And, and so I think that a lot of us view this way about God is that we have made him angry and that he wants to, to get rid of us when the reality is he just wants us to get rid of some things that, that disturb our intimacy with him. And so we just avoid him altogether and we confuse his pruning with his anger. God's not angry with you, he loves you. And the most loving thing that God can do to a lot of us is to prune us. Pruning is a kindness from God. It's a kindness because there are things in our lives that we need to prune. There are things in our lives that we must prune. The apostle Paul would call them the acts of the flesh. And this is what he says, there are things that we need to prune in our life, that God needs to prune from our lives. And he says, the acts of flesh are obvious. He says that sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And here's what I think we do. We're like, hey, I'm not a witch and I'm not a swinger, so I'm good. Like we've, we've seen that and we're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but can I, can I just be honest with us? No one is batting a thousand with these things. Like no one is batting a thousand and the acts of the flesh. And, and, and for me, I talk about this a lot, but, but look, the act, of my, the act of my flesh that I'm trying to just, I want God to prune away from me is the idolatry of comfort. I idolize comfort. I yearn for comfort. And so God puts me in positions to be uncomfortable. I, I, I try to place myself in positions to be uncomfortable. I want to just let God just prune that away from me. Because when we, when we are pruned, what that does is it makes room for fruit to grow. So when we're pruned, it makes room for fruit. And I, look, I, th I think so often when we hear like, hey, Christians bear fruit, we, we think of like, okay, well, what, is, what does fruit mean? Don't overcomplicate it. When we bear fruit, fruit is fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, Galatians 5, just a couple more verses. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, such things, there is no law. And can I lovingly tell you, no one's batting a thousand with this either. Like no one's batting a thousand with this. And so can I lay before you, what is the act of the flesh that you need to be pruned from? And then what is the fruit of the spirit that you need to allow God to prune you to? For me, it's patience. Like I continue to ask God, just prune me for patience, put me in positions to be patient. And he made me a father. So just continue to be patient. We're not batting a thousand. Bearing fruit is a process and pruning is a promise. It is and the seasons that grew me the most in my life they were the hardest seasons of my life. They were seasons where God was pruning me the most. And typically those were in like transitions or new seasons or new chapters in my life. 
I remember when I, when I fully devoted myself, became a faithful follower of Jesus when I, when I became a Christian, God had to prune me of some things. For me, that was sexual immorality and that was drunkenness. To prune me of that. When I stepped in to, to be a husband, God pruned me about love. Like, how do I love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? It's pruning. When I became a dad, it was patience. My kids test my patience, and that's God's pruning me. God's pruning me for that. When I became a pastor, it's humility. God just continues to tell me, like, apart from him, I can do nothing. Humility, may he continue to prune me with that. And so pruning is a kindness and it is a promise from God. And do you want to know what the most unloving thing God could have done for me in those seasons? Could have just left me alone. Most unloving thing he could have done would just be like, you're good. You're perfect just the way you are. You don't need any pruning. If he wouldn't have pruned me, I wouldn't have grown. And look, I'm stumbling as I grow, but if he wouldn't have pruned me, I wouldn't have have been able to remain in him because look, when we are pruned, it's evidence that we're remaining in him. And so God disciplines those he loves. He prunes those he loves. And this is what the author of Hebrews, this is how how he puts it. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God's pruning is out of love. When you're in his presence and he's pruning you, it's not he's angry at you, it's that he loves you so much. He wants to prune some things away from you and he wants to prune you to bear more fruit. It's God's desire is for us to be in him, to remain in his presence, to grow through his pruning. And we do all this because of the words that he spoke that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a story that I heard a pastor tell one time, and it was a, it was a story about a man named the Great Blondine. And so the Great Blondine, he was the most famous tightrope walker of all time. He was born in the 1800s in a little French village. And so what the great Blondine did when he was a kid is he, he just started tightrope walking at a very early age. And so he would start just traversing little ditches and, and he grew and he grew and he grew and he, and he honed his craft to where he was the most, his name is basically synonymous with tightrope walking and he honed his craft so much that his, his, his greatest feat was he traversed the Niagara Falls 1,100 feet with no ropes, with no anything. And so he was, again, the most famous tightrope walker and people would flood in from all over the world to see him and would say, great Blondine, you can do anything. He was so good, he was the goat greatest of all time. He was the best that there ever was. And so people would would flood in and they'd cheer him on. And he was so good that he got bored with just walking across the tightrope. So he brought in props. And so he would have like a bowling ball and he'd walk across, or he'd have other things that he'd walk across. And so really for his, his, his greatest feat, he had a wheelbarrow. And so he took a wheelbarrow and he walked across on a tightrope, no ropes, no anything. If he fell, he died. And he walked across the tightrope with the wheelbarrow 
And he walked back and he completed the feat. And it was the biggest crowd that he's ever had in his entire life. And everyone's like, great Blondine, you are the best. You can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know if they said that, but you can do anything raising their hands. And he said, okay, for my last, for the finale, I'm gonna ask a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow. The crowd died down. Everyone lowered their hands. And one guy said, the great Blondine, I'll, I'll jump in there. And it was his manager, the guy who knew him the best, the guy who had seen all the miracles that the great Blondine did, who saw him traverse so many times, who saw how focused he was. And he said, I'll, I'll hop in the wheelbarrow. I trust you. I rely on you. I depend on you. And the great Blondine, he, he said to his manager, well, you can't get in the wheelbarrow because it will throw off our leverage. You're going to have to get on my back. And he says, look, we're gonna have to be one. Every move that I make, you make. Every breath I take, you take. Every step, every flinch, everything, you're gonna have to be united with me. He says, you're gonna have to be at home with me. And in the same way, that's what Jesus is inviting us into to be home with him. My prayer is that we believe Jesus when he says that. That apart from him, we can do nothing. That if we remain in him, we can do all things. And so I, I don't know if, if you need to reset or refocus. I don't know if you've, you've been apart from him and you need to to remember, to remain in him. You need to see Jesus with open arms welcoming you back home. I don't know if that's you today, but I want to give you the invitation that that's what Jesus is saying. I don't know if you've ever experienced home in Jesus before. Maybe you think that he's just too angry with you and maybe you haven't cleaned yourself up enough yet. That's not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus says, come, be home. We'll, we'll worry about that stuff later. I love you, come home. If we want to remain in him, if we want to abide in him, it's to view him as our home. So I want you to know Jesus is inviting you home today. In his presence, through his pruning, and it's for his glory and it's for our good. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for these words. Jesus, we're thankful for the invitation that you give us to come home. Holy Spirit, we ask that you, you give us the desire and the yearning and the courage to take a step home today. In whatever season of life we find ourselves in, that that for the rest of 2023, we hear the invitation to come home, that we abide in your presence, that we don't avoid your pruning, but we, but we step into it because you love us. Lord, just remind us of that, of how great your love is for us. So God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.